You're listening to Broadcast Behind the Screens, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast and Broadcast Intelligence. Today, we are bringing you an extra special House of the Dragon episode, including an interview with Sky's director of programs, Cy Bennett. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. Two podcasts in a week, I think, is a record for us. Um, I'm Alice Redman, Head of Content for Broadcast Intelligence. And I'm Heather Fallon, one of the reporters on Broadcast. And Heather, where were we last night? (laughs) (laughs) We were at the premiere for House of the Dragon. We walked the red carpet, saw a couple of celebrities and then promptly got shuffled onwards because we're not famous or glamorous enough to warrant any autograph signing. Yeah, <laughs> although I was tempted to, you know, introduce myself as host of the Broadcast Behind the Screens podcast. I think we could have gotten away with uh, pretending to be Targaryens. We're both blonde. Yeah, exactly. But most importantly, other than the red carpet and the free popcorn and champagne, we watched the first episode of House of the Dragons, which is the new Game of Thrones prequel slash spin-off series, which is coming to Sky. So before we do our best Mark Moan and Simon Mayo impressions and tell you what we thought of it, we did also, don't want to show off about our day <laughs> yesterday too much, but we also got to visit the swanky Corinthian Hotel earlier in the day. Yep, so while the likes of Matt Smith was upstairs being interviewed, we grabbed a cup of tea in the lobby with Sky's Cy Bennett to talk about what House of the Dragon means to Sky, what kind of drama they're currently looking for, and much more. So let's take a listen. We are here in the Corinthia Hotel with Cy Bennett. So if you hear any <laughs> clinking of cups i have just dunked the microphone in tea so there's that but <laughs> fingers crossed it's yeah. still working but welcome to the podcast thank you for having me i'm looking forward to afternoon tea in a minute yeah they've I got hope... some very good cookies here as well yeah i hope they cut the crust off the sandwiches this time jesus <laughs> <laughs> so yeah house of the dragon is why we're here and it's such a big draw for sky and probably a big part of your strategy i mean have you seen it yet what are your thoughts? i have seen the first episode it's phenomenal it's a really confident start to a prequel if that makes any sense so you've got all the sort of familiarity and the access points that you want from game of thrones you know so it's the same composer and you get those musical cues the world you kind of know but it also feels like it's very much its own thing so it's an, it's an incredible achievement to be able to balance those two things together so i think the guys who've created it written it directed it have done an amazing job an hbo shepherding it and what can viewers expect from this series what's different and what what maybe easter eggs are there from the game of thrones universe oh right now i'm so rubbish at spotting easter eggs I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a massive fan of thrones i was before i even joined sky so you you know the world you know you've got full-size massive dragons it's cool we love that, to see that oh they, <laughs> they look they look amazing the dragons have got their own characters it's also quite cool seeing the actors having to play like you know dragons are just normal because that's what that, that world is supposed to be like also the cast is awesome you know matt smith paddy constantine and olivia and so on it's a really brilliant british cast no predominantly predominantly british cast as well and do you think like with the kind of fandom attached to it you know you're kind of guaranteeing yourself 
a bit of an audience, the Game of Thrones audience is going to migrate naturally to I hope House so. Of <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's I hope we're all hoping that across the globe. <laughs> Do you think it's kind of a way forward for drama and drama commissioning, like really playing into fandoms and existing properties? Well, it's, but that's that's been that's been going for a while. It's ever been, yeah. ever been the way prequels, sequels, spin off. You know, look at Disney; they're the masters of it. They're running a whole service based on it. It's it really is. You know, we look at Star Wars and Marvel; they're literally going super deep. This one, I think, is is just a brilliantly executed one. I've only seen the first episode so far, but you know, they they're like incredibly expensive beautiful feature films and in terms of fandom you really have to sort of stoke it and feed it so there's sort of stuff you do in the real world and stuff you do digitally so we've got we've got a huge premiere tonight for house of dragon we've gone to leicester square we've taken over to the cinemas we've got these digital totems up around the square so we're having our fans are able to beam in and ask questions to the cast and to, to the creators I think the Radio Times have helped us source all the people for that. We'll actually stoke the conversation as well when it's you know, when it's happening about the narrative and about the plot twists and the characters. And we really, we, in the physical world, we've got the we've created the th- throne, the recreation of the throne, and we're touring it around the UK as well. You have to have the throne. Yeah, we have to have the we've, throne. Do, we've done that before, <laughs> but we've got that. It's an even bigger, better throne. But everyone wants a picture on the throne. So, do you think this has the potential to be the biggest or one of the biggest launches that Sky does? I hope so, absolutely. And look, it comes with a massive fan base. Series one of Game of Thrones on Sky got 700,000 viewers. It ended with an average of 6 million, which in pay TV is in the UK is enormous. It's the biggest yeah. all-time pay TV audience, bigger than like football games and so on. So it's got an amazing fan base. Will they all come back? I don't know. Half of them come back, massive success for us. You know, yeah. as soon as something's in the millions, it's, it's big. And, you know, there's, there's a deep, rich fandom about it, which is why we're doing all these other elements to try to really sort of stoke that. And obviously it comes as part of the Sky and HBO output deal and lots of things going on that. But lastly, I want to touch on when British producers are looking to pitch ideas to Sky and things, should they be looking at what HBO and HBO Max perhaps have upcoming and looking to complement that or contrast it? Or... Look, that's a fair point because yeah, we have this deal. It's got a, it's got a while to run, so there's no point giving me Mayor of East Town. We get Mayor of East Town, mm. uh, or, or indeed House of Dragon. But the team, the drama teams, the comedy teams, the entertainment teams, so on. When we're looking for our originals, Britishness is important in them. Sometimes we can tell international stories, but there's always a British storytelling element to it. When you look at what we've got that have been successful games of London, in the title, right, London, this England with Ken Brown playing Boris, very incredibly British, about the British Prime Minister and the onset of COVID. Our comedies are, are, are all very, very domestic. So that complements our American output anyway, naturally. But I think the things producers need to think about when they're looking to pitch to our, our teams in scripted, anything non-scripted is about scale, ambition. It's about being, I think, it's really just a tick box that things have to have cinematic value now. It's not that's not enough. That's a that's a minimum requirement. Mm. But it's about finding that sort of propulsive storytelling that a, that a British audience will find interesting for some reason. And it might be you no, know, we can do an international story like Chernobyl, but it's got tons of the best of British actors in it, or very very British stories like Rosie Malloy, which is uh, Sheridan Smith playing the titular character. So we've got. We've got a whole range of those. What we want is a, we've got a range of emotional outcomes in our sort of storytelling. You know, there's things that have got clear heroes and villains, and there's really, like the anti-heroes are really twisted, messed up adult storytelling that we get on Atlantic. So we've got a far wide range for our scripting. It's about being an authentic piece, piece of storytelling that, that's really authored. That's the most important thing. And you have, we respond to the writing first, and then it's about what other elements can you add to it to make it exceptional. So who's directing it, who's producing it. And you mentioned about kind of cinematic 
they're looking to the masses as kind of a minimum. Does that close the door to smaller producers or smaller indies, or is it still wide open? I think you can make a whole range of different budget shows and they can look amazing. You can make things look amazing without the biggest amount of money in the world. I'd also say some of our Gangs of London is a big, expensive, beautiful looking show with stunning set piece. Save Me is a less expensive show, but it's, it's much more domestic. It's much more about that storytelling and those characters' developments and the performances. Equally, it's a, it's a massive performer for us. So you don't have to spend a fortune to be amazing. But also you can look you can look good or look appropriate. You need to be look appropriate for the story you're telling. And in the case of House of the Dragon, you've got massive dragons, yeah, you've massive got, CGI you've got dragons. Massive dragons. That's 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 money. Yeah. And that that makes sense for that world for it to be so ambitious. But there is room across the slate for different size productions. Exactly. Just no dragons and gangs in London. There are less <laughs> there are less dragons and gangs, but there are some pretty epic fight scenes. But oh, the sort of simplistic way I think about it is like you don't just want to eat chocolate ice cream every day. You have a slightly weight maybe. Uh, but you have a varied diet and people want it. You want a bit of everything. So across Sky Max and Sky Atlantic, which are two commissioning services for scripted, there's a decent range of outcomes there. There's there's a sort of satisfying watch where you know who the hero you more or less know who the hero is. But think of Discovery of Witches. It's a it's a nice rom com in a in a fancy world, beautifully made. Or, but then you think about something like Gangs of London, it's a kind of truly messed up storytelling that goes all over the place. You don't know who's a bad who's a good. There's, we've got enough range to have all those outcomes. Are there any current gaps in your drama slate at the moment? Anything you're looking to fill? When I talk to the drama team, they find that producers do favour pitching sort of Sky Atlantic leaning ideas. Mm. So we don't get as many Sky Max, which is sort of like the, a big, bold, entertaining pieces. I think that Lazarus Project for us has been really, and Midwich Cuckoos have been brilliant for Sky Max. More of those, please. Bulletproof was a really great show for us. You know, I'd love to have another sort of elevated cop drama on, on Sky Max. So we are slightly underpitched on the, the out and out entertaining dramas. And with this launch, I think you mentioned earlier, the, this UK launch is absolutely huge for House of the Dragon. It's got all the talent here. You're making a really big statement. As you said, you've got over a thousand people coming tonight. What what does that say about your relationship with HBO and what it says to the kind of Game of Thrones fandom and that universe? Well, our relationship with HBO is brilliant. It has been for years. Our deal has years to go. But even over and above that, there we do things that are outside of our deal. We co-produce lots of stuff for the baby, you know, landscapers. We've got some non-scripted, uh, The Princess, which we just showed at the weekend, which is a, an amazing feature documentary about Princess Diana. That's a co-production with HBO. We've got uh, Kingdom of Dreams, which is a, a, a multi-part series about the, sort of, the fashion houses in Europe and how they came to be into being. That's a co-production with HBO. So we've got lots of touch points with them as, as sort of creative partners. And in terms of the fandom, for Game of Thrones and what it says about them. We love this show as much as, uh, we hope as much as HBO do, and we will be doing everything to respect it, but also to make sure it's, it's, it feels like it's special and big and important. What would a Sky drama look like that would be on the same level as Game of Thrones or House of Dragons? What kind of thing would make you go, oh, this is on that level? I don't know how I'm, fra- I don't know if I'm phrasing this question very much. No, it makes sense. This is a $24 million an episode show. Right. We don't currently make many $24 million an episode shows. Some of our shows are north of $5 million an episode. That's equally enough money to make something look stunning. Yeah. But it's about, it's not always about the budget, like I said earlier. Mm. But you spend the money on the right thing 
that's the right size and shape for, for that piece of creativity. We have to be more and more ambitious. We have to probably pursue a strategy where we make even bigger swings. And I think Gangs of London is a show that stands up there. You know, it's sort of redefined doing that sort of gangland warfare and uh, sort of ballet version of violence yeah. in, 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 in sort of the, the cinema style that Gareth was famous for when he did The Raid. So we brought that from cinema to TV. So more... Will we look at we'll look at other ways we can do that in different genres. Yes. So you know there's a whole multitude of subgenres of drama. We're actually looking at them and what will complement the existing slates. But money is not the thing that ever stops us doing something. If we think it's right for our customers, we'll try and make it happen. And in terms of measuring the success of today, you mentioned obviously the fund of the Game of Thrones built up so much. How would you look at the launch and how it's subsequently watched, and how would you measure? What's a successful launch for House of the Dragon? Oh, well, I think I think I mentioned that you know, six million people are average on the Game of Thrones. So, if we get a few million, I, I, I'm I'm hoping for more. But you know, two or three would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. It should it, it's a show that I'd expect to be. And for a pay TV you know, service, that's a huge audience. Because yeah. yeah. you know, anything between two and three million when you scale it up is like a an eight to 10 million free-to-air show when yeah. you think about the amount of homes that we're all in. There's no denying the footprint of Game of Thrones is going to go on for quite a long time. <laughs> it's even yeah. since, because it started, what, 2011? So long ago. And hasn't been <laughs> yeah. on for two years. No, I think it three years. It was 2019, wasn't it? And yet some weeks in, the, in those intervening three years, Game of Thrones is still the top downloaded box set on Sky Ooh. because people are just... They're either they're catching up on it, they're watching it again. So it's it's all it's never ending. It's sort of self feeding. And there are other Game of Thrones prequels and spin offs that are kind of in the works. Would you very much have the doors open to those if the opportunity arose for you to? We we, we love being the home of Game of Thrones <laughs> and and all associated Game of Thrones <laughs> programming. Yeah, and that, again, that's an HBO HBO's question. They own the brand. Yeah. They they run the franchise. They're looking at. As you know, there's been publicised, I think there's like seven or more different things in the works, yeah, animations, yeah. other such things, depending on when they come to air, you know, with hope that they'll be on Sky, absolutely. I'm sure people would be very happy to hear that. <laughs> So, yeah, apologise for any background noise you heard there. As we said, we're in the Alec Fenchel lobby tea area. <laughs> I think it provided some nice surround sound. Yeah, it was, it was a very gorgeous location. We had a very swanky day yesterday. <laughs> we did. But I think we should talk about what we thought about the show. Oh, yeah. Where do we begin? I think, so, at the premiere, we got to watch the first episode of 10 uh, and we got a little teaser clip at the end of what to expect for the rest of the series. In terms of the overall story, I definitely was pulled back into the Game of Thrones world. I was one of those people that was a little bit scorned by the end of Game of Thrones. But by the end of the episode, I think I was definitely pulled back in and I will... I will carry on watching the show. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. I wasn't as upset as other people were by the finale of Game of Thrones, I will admit. Yeah, I I wanted more, but, you know, I was fairly fine with what happened, kind of. (laughs) But, yeah, I I liked the story. I thought it was a really good take. It set far enough 
a way that you're not linking plot points, even though that's what I really want to do. And I keep being like, who's, who's the person that ends up with him? And like, what's that? And then uh, Rebecca, one of our fellow broadcast gals, kept being like, no, it's a hundred years. No one is anyone's father in this uh, <laughs> in this show. And I was like, is that is that John Snow's dad? I think it's nearly two hundred years, but there's there's enough Easter eggs that if you you were like me and watched all the YouTube breakdowns about the law and read the books because this this is gonna out me as a massive Game of Thrones nerd. But I really enjoyed like throwing myself into that Westerosi universe the first time. And then you see characters that are briefly mentioned that not don't necessarily have loads of importance, but you know, it's quite cool to see them present in the new storyline of House of the Dragon. There was one scene which I thought was a little bit too on the nose without giving too much away. Oh, I'm a fan of on the nose things. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, link that up. As we know, I'm trying to figure out who everyone's granddad is. Yeah. Um, like, I need the links. It like satisfies my brain. I also really like that it's only going to be ten episodes. Mm. That feels very kind of achievable in a watching. Yeah, I'm not going to commit my life to it. Like, I want to see more of King's Landing though. Like, I want to see the locations we know. Yeah, just a little bit more familiarity. And more dragons. There was, like, enough dragons, but I want more. <laughs> like, Targaryen house, always my faves. Maybe because I'm blonde. <laughs> I love, like, Daenerys and, like, her whole storyline. Maybe not the end. But, you know, I loved, I loved her whole, like, mythology and, like, where she came from and all the background. And I think it's quite satisfying to be able to get this background of her family and I also really like the relationships in it I thought they really did a really good job in the first episode of establishing everyone's relationships to each other and how they feel about each other without it being quite so obvious I mean I was thinking a lot when I was watching it about the first ever episode of Game of Thrones and like how well that did of establishing the stakes and the relationships yeah an entire world I think they they do a good job of doing a similar thing and it was very in keeping with Game of Thrones style. My mum absolutely hates it. And used to, me and my dad used to watch it together. And she's been like, tits and dragons and <laughs> people getting their heads chopped off. And I can confirm, episode one, tits, dragons, people getting their heads chopped off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was really excited as well by what Zai was saying about the dragons having their own personalities this time around as well. You can tell just from how beautifully shot it was. And I think we got a bit of an advantage from watching it on the big screen at the premiere. You can tell that they have thrown a lot of money behind this. So at the start of Game of Thrones, the prices were, I mean, they put a lot of money into it, but by the end, they were funneling around $100 million into each episode. So it's not by anywhere near that scale, but I think it, it costs approximately 20 mil per episode for a 10 episode run so they are not messing around on the budget from HBO and you can tell yeah you can tell that there's a lot of money it just looks really seamless like you see these huge dragons flying around and it doesn't skip a beat it looks really polished 
you remember that, like, towards the end of um, Game of Thrones, they stopped showing the direwolves because they couldn't afford them anymore? You pick a dragon or a wolf, and the dragon is always going to win. But I like the wolves. Everybody's <laughs> like, where's Ghost? And it was like, then it emerged that they just couldn't afford to animate them. Poor Ghost. Yeah, and I also like the two timelines. There's two timelines in it. There's adult and child. I think it's like a 20 year difference and I want to know I, li- I was looking on IMDb and every a- old and young versions of all the actresses that play old and young are credited for all 10 episodes so that's interesting mm-hmm. if it's going to stick unless they've just done that just to you know throw people like me off <laughs> um, little nerds doing their googling <laughs> also Fabienne Frankel who plays the like mysterious underdog character and that emerges in the first episode. I don't can't remember his actual name, but mark my words, he is going to be the Jon Snow heartthrob, Kit Harrington. Yeah, I'll have a Game of Thrones world without. Although, and then I think Matt Smith in his long head wig is going to be everyone's like rogue crush. <laughs> it's it's a very Legolasy wig. It is. It's great. For some reason, I thought that I guess because Matt Smith played Doctor Who, I was just like, oh. His character's going to be lovely, and he's actually quite... I mean, at the moment, you're still figuring it out what kind of a person he's going to be, but he doesn't start off uh, in a great light, and I was really like, oh, that's it's not nice. <laughs> he is portrayed as the anti-hero. I wouldn't say he's portrayed as the villain, no, because I kind of can see how other people are the villain. Yeah, it is like Game of Thrones. It's nuanced, it's complicated... You can find reasons to like the Lannisters mm-hmm. and the Targaryens and the Starks. There was my favourite bit, not my favourite, but the bit I enjoyed when it was like, I'm blah, blah, Stark. And it was like, my family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are the Easter eggs that I like when it's like, I think it was Rickon Stark, who they do mention in the Game of Thrones it series was. and you're like oh that's that guy that they mentioned those little easter eggs are very very satisfying i think to conclude if you're a game of thrones fan they do a lot of service to making sure that there are links and there are references but it's separate enough that you can really enjoy it and throw yourself into it and if you want to completely spoil it for yourself by really looking at what happens to each of them but i would I would throw yourself into it with an open mind and I will definitely continue to watch it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, agreed. It's good. I'm watching all 10. Is it already out there? Like, wow. It's, it's a set, yeah, you can if I go follow on, the law and if you I go can find out. If I go on Game of Thrones wiki. Yeah, but don't do it. Oh, I know. <laughs> Why do I just want to know who gives birth to who? <laughs> And as bad as the king. <laughs> I have to say though, the actress who plays Renaris looks so similar to Daenerys. It, they've really smashed the casting there. Renaris, Daenerys. There's a clue <laughs> in the names of who's related to who. Uh, they're all fantasy names. They all sound quite similar. Well, there you have it. So we won't be making this a review podcast anytime soon. Unless people want to send us more premieres. Um, but I really did enjoy speaking to Zai and getting you on the red carpet and like having that fancy experience. I had a really nice time. It was great to see something that I think we both love as well, was what made us decide to do a whole podcast on it. We both love Game of Thrones. It was great to see it. 
So yeah, it was a great, great evening. Even though you broke your toes. <laughs> so full transparency, I walked the red carpet with not one, but two broken toes. Um, so you just add glamour everywhere we go. Absolutely. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll be back on Wednesday. But until then, please rate, review and subscribe. Oh my god, it said playing music on the Zoom. <laughs> yes! yes.